Everyone has a story. What's yours? is Monumental, a small show about the big things that God does in the lives of ordinary people. This week we're talking to Tanil. Tanil is a wife, a homemaker, and a mother of four. But before any of that, she was headed down a really different path. had a job change when I was six, and he took a job out in California as a, an accountant for a Christian college. So we moved cross-country. Yeah, that's <laughs> pretty a much. <laughs> Illinois to California. Very different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we moved to the mountains, though. When we moved there, my mom thought um, as a way to get to know people, get involved in the community, uh, she gave us all ice skating lessons for Christmas. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we got we got, took group lessons. So all of your sisters? I was, you yeah, I was seven. My sister, my next sister was 12, and my oldest sister was 15. So for them, it was a bit late, but for me, it was around that ideal age to learn a discipline like that. That kind of became my go-to thing mm-hmm. through elementary school. You know, I was known as the ice skater and <laughs> made friends through ice skating. And did you grow up in a Christian home or? We were faithful attenders to a Southern Baptist church in Illinois. The move was difficult, finding a church in California that was similar to what we were used to, what mm-hmm. my parents were used to. We really didn't get integrated into a, a local church mm-hmm. um, in California. I think there are probably three very significant things in my grow- growing up years that have led me to where I am today. The first would be my dad being diagnosed with malignant melanoma cancer. I was nine, and it was already to stage four. Mm-hmm. and And then he lived two more years. And died when I was 11. Mm-hmm. I mean, my dad was the the rock in our house mm-hmm. of faith, and so mercifully, God showed me that I needed I needed to do the things I needed to read His Word and and trust in Him and find my hope in in Him because I couldn't understand what had happened without that. When he was sick, were you, you were nine or so, mm-hmm. did you understand what was going on or how serious his illness was? Or I don't think I understand how understood how serious it was. He was a very optimistic, yeah. cheerful man. And so I, I kind of took my cues from him. Yeah. And since he was, I don't think he was not showing that it was um, that he was suffering, but I think he just handled it in such a, a faithful way. Yeah. So I think we all just, you know, thought, of course, dad is going to make, make it through it. and yeah. um, he'll be fine. Right. You know, <laughs> yeah. and I could see changes physically in him. I remember him looking weak and it eventually went to his brain. And so they had to do some surgeries. Mm-hmm. And that was that was startling. And I remember 
visiting him at the hospital during some of the the treatments that they did and just it was so just different yeah physically. i mean really yeah it was very hard to to be there and to see him that way uh my mom brought him home probably it was the beginning of summer 2001 so he came home and was gonna have a hospice i guess a nurse coming in but at that point i think we knew that he was home to die at home mm-hmm. and not be in a hospital and it was a very quick summer. The beginning of the summer, I think he had had a, a surgery and was doing really well. And then our cousins from Germany were touring the States and came to visit, visit us at the beginning of the summer. I think I just kind of like forgot what was going on, you know, mm-hmm. was playing outside. It was summer. My cousins yeah. were here and, yeah. and then they came back at the end of summer for the funeral. And I don't know how many weeks he was nonverbal. There was a bed in our living room that he was on, like a one where they could take him quickly if they needed to. Towards the end, he wasn't able to speak then? Mm-mm. Yeah, he wasn't conscious or I don't, I mean, he did, couldn't talk. Um, I, I remember the night that he passed away. <laughs> Vanessa was home from college, obviously. Your older sister, Vanessa. And I just remember saying, good night and I love you. That's a really sweet way. I'm glad that I have that memory. Yeah. Saying goodbye. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting because my dad also had melanoma cancer. And similar to your dad, he was very cheerful and, and positive and peaceful person. And we didn't really, I think any of us really, to a full extent, acknowledge that he was going to die. Mm-hmm. You know, it was all about the treatments and the surgeries mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. fighting for him to recover. And that's right. just how we thought about it going right. throughout and mm-hmm. And so it really wasn't until right there at the end mm-hmm. um, that it was like, oh, you know, this this might be the end. And I mean, I guess we we know more a little bit of your story, so we know that then then you threw yourself into figure skating for the next I don't know how many years. So do you think that that was part of that? That was a way that you in particular, but also your mom were able to sort of try to move forward after your father's death. Yeah, I definitely do think it was a way for us to work through the grief. Like I said, since we didn't have a very good connection with a local ch- local church, mm-hmm. um, this kind of, I think, took its place in many ways. I was a competitive figure skater for 11 years, and towards the end of my career, I was uh, called up to compete at an international competition how old were you? Okay. How old <laughs> were you? I was 17. Okay. So that's close to peak age for figure skating, yeah. where you really need to be moving in your career if you want it to go anywhere. I had had a so-so career or so-so season the previous year and uh, was not planning to be put on the international circuit to compete inter- at internationals. And then that would launch you to being chosen for bigger competitions okay. later on. So in you the were season. planning to sort of wind down your career? Or you at a place not where yet. To figure out what I was you at the crossroads and but more still willing to see where figure skating would lead. So your previous season had not set you up, though, for what you had hoped. Right. It was a bad bad year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Injuries, uh, lack of discipline. I think, you know, the conflict of was skating at this level, honoring to God and walking like a Christian, starting to get to me and knowing how to process that based on my previous 
performances, they decided to send me as an alternate. Another competitor got injured. So with a month to go before the competition, I was notified that they would be sending me to England to compete. It wasn't on the senior level, the top level, but it was on the tier down that could still get me in a better position for nationals, which okay. was the the top competition okay. that you wanted that would maybe get you on launch Olympic and, teams yeah. and yeah. world teams. So did you think, well, I floundered last season, but maybe this is my big break? Yeah. And my coaches encouraged me mm-hmm. in that to just put the past in the past. They thought that I could could do it. So did you have to go into intense, like hardcore yeah. training in the yeah. month that you had before? Yeah. And it was a, it was an early competition for the season. Mm-hmm. So that meant that my programs were new, that I probably hadn't worked up my endurance to actually get through them very well. I had slacked off in the summer. <laughs> Just told myself, well, I'm not going to any of these early competitions anyway, so why bother putting all of me into this right now? So I buckled down. I tried my hardest to get in in good shape for this competition. However, not very wisely as I tried to cut out a lot of energy boosting foods Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that I would look as trim and fit as I could, but which didn't, wasn't going to be long lasting. But as long as the external could look good and I could perform fairly well, Mm -hmm. (laughs) we decided, my mom and I, that she wouldn't go. Um, They paid the skaters fare, flights and housing and but they didn't pay for a chaperone okay Um, I think it was a new thing because typically she was always able to come with me plus we also had to pay for the coaches fare that's just the given and right figure skating so I went by myself with my two coaches it was very nerve-wracking my coaches weren't the best influences in their personal lives or spiritually. Anyway, I uh, went with them and uh, I was doing okay in the, you have two performances, a short program and a long program. Um, the short program, I didn't do too badly. Made it through the whole program, landed most of my elements. I think I was sixth out of 30 or something like okay. that. So thought, okay, just hang on to these spots. If I can get, you know, in the top four, they'll send me somewhere else. And that's what we wanted. We just wanted to get to the next place. Mm-hmm. Didn't have to win this one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wouldn't have minded it if I did win. <laughs> but And the long program, it's very nervous, tired from the week, very weak, because I was trying to be like my coach, who was very looking to make herself look very thin and beautiful in the world's eyes. And mm-hmm. So I got through a few of my first triple jumps, and then everything just started snowballing. I fell, fell again. I think I almost even just tripped. Like, it just got to that really awful point where you're just like, I just don't want to keep going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were just thinking, when is it When over? is it going to be yeah. over? This is humiliating. And no. how long of a... Um, it's four minutes. Okay. Which doesn't sound like very long. Ooh, <laughs> longest four minutes of your but life. Yeah, very long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially when you haven't trained properly and, and haven't done the things that will make your body last that long. So I was ashamed. There wasn't a very large U.S. team, so it's all kind of... Mm. <laughs> tight you're not so you just felt like the pressure yeah of your country not, and and uh-huh. of your coaches and right yourself and yeah <laughs> yep yeah but I think I was I was more ashamed in the end at who I was trying to be while I was there how I had not been walking faithfully with the Lord and trying to li- live two lives trying to have 
Jesus personally in me and not ever, it wasn't showing outwardly with what I did with my life, not attending church faithfully, not witnessing, but I had no support. So how did you respond directly after the competition? I think I just wanted to go home. Yeah, <laughs> just get me out of here. I just, I think I just wanted to just like disappear and mm-hmm. yeah. never come back yeah. to ice skating. It's just like you just, so, at that point you wanted to just be done with it. Yeah, you knew you were done, and I think yeah. it was like I think I probably made a resolution to go back home and just to be done. How did your coaches respond when you came off the ice from that? Like coaches do. Yeah, um, <laughs> encouraging and like. I mean, know, they knew that you they were knew I didn't do well. That, they knew yeah. I was upset with my performance. Yeah. They knew that I knew that I didn't train the way I should have. Do you um, think that they had any idea at that point that you were going to walk off the ice? Um, any of what you had been heading towards? I think there's always that risk with skating. I mean, it is. It can just be traumatic at some points, and especially at that age, you see a lot of skaters get to that age and things get rocky. So I don't think my coaches would have been surprised if I wanted to give it all up. I didn't. Came home, probably took a couple of days off. Then regionals were right around the corner. There wasn't much time to really think about what I could do instead. And my mom and I had talked about how this was kind of the last year, determining year. She knew that I was struggling with whether I should continue skating or not. So I think she helped me just to keep going, like I had said, follow through with the commitments. Since they did send me to a a competition, an international competition, I don't know if there was a, I don't think there was a contract, but it was assumed that That you you were not going to quit. You were getting a little bit of funding on that level, that tier of the U.S. team. You couldn't just quit. What was intense training like preparing for competitions like that? Several hours of on-ice training and several hours off-ice training. Ballet, doing jumps, exercises off the ice. In the summer times, we would go to the beach and do training on the sand, which mm-hmm. is very oh, wow. intense. Yeah. <laughs> I hated it. Oh my goodness, on the um, sand would be so hard. Yeah. <laughs> it was not fun. Yeah. A week before a competition, you would kind of pull back and maybe just do three hours on the ice and maybe an hour off the ice to kind of regain your strength. I mean, ideally, if you're doing the hardest training a month before a competition, then you want to kind of save yourself for the actual competition. So how many hours a day total were you spending in training? Most days I would get there around 9.30 and finish anywhere from 3.30 to 4.30. So you got little breaks in there. You'd warm up half an hour before you got on the ice, skate an hour or two get off the ice, cool down for half an hour. <laughs> but over 40 hours a week, you were yeah, dedicating. it was a full-time to job. <laughs> and your mom was skating. with you at all of these. And she was there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. So you probably had a pretty close relationship with your mom working with her so closely for all those years of your life. Yeah, um, fairly close. I mean, it was, it was sometimes difficult. Yeah. I mean, just... Your mom was there, like... Pretty Eight much. hours a day with you? Yeah. Increase. I was just trying to figure this yeah. out. I was okay. trying to imagine like eight hours yeah. a day. That's insane. Well, that's was she like, like literally sitting there watching you? Sometimes. I mean, sometimes she would actually have to like take care of things that were going on at home. Were your other sisters when we weren't at home. grown up and graduated? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Bree is five years older than me and Vanessa is okay. eight and a half. Growing up, had it sort of been your dream to go to the Olympics and that kind of thing? Yeah. Were you like... I was what you were striving for all growing up was really to make this your Yeah, I was excited about it. Lake Arrowhead was a very figure skating community in itself. Mm -hmm. Um, Some really 
great figure skaters came from that area. And so I think with those encouragements, when they were like, oh, you know, you're doing really well. Yeah. You know, this is where you could go. I mean, it, it was right in well. front of me. You yeah. know, these yeah. great Olympians are training at a rink that's a mile away wow. at the training center yeah. where the only the elite skaters skated. And then once I got there, it was like, oh, I'm here with these wow, great, that's cool. yeah. these great people. Or so great who are some skaters. of the skaters that we might be familiar with who would come from there? Um, Michelle Kwan came from there. Okay. <laughs> Scott Hamilton might have had. I don't mm. know that he trained there for very long. We used to do ice shows. Um, and he would come and oh i loved todd eldridge if you know that name yeah my sister Um, and i loved watching ice skating so we would watch lots of ice skating shows on tv and yeah i mean obviously the olympics but scott hamilton yeah i know did lots of different (laughs) we loved her and yeah Yeah. so So it's a very inspiring place to to figure skate i think if you were around that age and you did fairly well at it you kind of just put it were put on the fast track right to this is what you could become and I think it's, I mean, only natural for a mother and a dad to be yeah. like, yeah, why not? Yeah. Like, right. We want this for our, seen you doing our well child. And yeah, my yeah. dad was very supportive of, of it. Always came to my competitions and was interested in asking me about what was going on in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You went to regionals and then... Um, yeah, that was not a very difficult competition to get past. Whoever made it from regionals in their regions would all come together and, and compete. If you placed in the top four at sectionals, you were sent to uh, nationals. And that's where if you were in the top few spots, you could be placed on the world team, Olympic team. It didn't always guarantee it. If you were even in the top three, you had to have somewhat of a reputation or, you know, they wanted to know that you were going to look good for the U.S. and compete well. I think I got back on track fairly well that year. Not the best. I would have probably liked to be doing better by the time nationals came around. But you were still sort of wavering as to whether but or not yeah. it was a track you wanted to do. So exactly. So it was just very really hard. It was like it one day I would do consumer. really well at training and yeah. be totally focused and have that yeah. skater's mentality, going to, you know, be Olympic champion. And, <laughs> and then other days, it was just like, what am I doing? This is not, this is kind of worthless. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just focusing on myself all day. And it's really was more some spiritual battles that mm-hmm. started. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say that really started to take root in me when I had come to Indiana to my sister's wedding. She and her husband-to-be took quite a bit of time. It was very sweet of them to actually talk with me about where skating was going, what I thought I might want my life to look like in five to ten years, and was this the road that was actually going to take me there, and was I actually glorifying God with, with what I was doing for all week long? And so they really challenged me to think about my trajectory, and that was another point in my life where I was resolved to come back home and quit skating because I was lonely. It's a lonely sport. I wanted friends, and I loved coming here, and I had friends, and they hardly even knew me. They knew me through Vanessa. Everyone was just very welcoming and kind, and so that was very appealing (laughs) to me, to have a a community of believers, whereas I was used to being the only Christian and maybe not even wanting people to know that I was a Christian or to explain the reasons why I wasn't showing my midriff or I wore slightly more modest outfits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What happened at nationals? Um, it didn't go well. I think it was similar to my international competition where I was just trying to make up for lost time being so wavering in, am I committed to skating? Am I not committed to skating? 
even though you wanted to go back home and pack up your skates and be done. Mm -hmm. You didn't feel the freedom to do that. Is that right? No, especially when I was 16, when I had made that first resolution. I didn't feel like as a 16 year old, I could just like start a new life. You know, I didn't know what I was going to do. Did you feel guilty that your mom had dedicated so much of her life to this? Couldn't just pack it away? Since I think it was so tied to my dad and she gave up so much of her life and her time, I wanted to, you know, make up for that. I wouldn't say that she put tons of pressure on me. She wanted what made me happy. And this had made me happy for so many years. Right. But we'd been in it for so long. It was just like... This is hard to know what decision in my head to yeah. What does life outside of the figure skating world even look like when you haven't seen it for right? And then what does that do to her life? Right. And do I need to feel responsible for that? Do I, you know, have to (laughs) a lot to process? And I knew it needed to be done after nationals. It was a defining moment where you knew that was. I don't know what it would have looked like if I had done better. It would have just been harder. But I think I was pretty well convicted that, okay, this needs to be done. So do you think that you're performing poorly at the, at nationals and at the previous competition that we talked about? Do you in some ways look at that as God's grace to you to make it easier? Yeah. I wasn't getting those rushes of doing well that kind of like get you over that hump. So yeah, many ways that helped to make the decision a lot easier and maybe even easier for my coaches and my mom to process did you know what you were going to do not skating anymore? I mean, did you have ideas of what, what your I life had was ideas. going to look like without I did. skating, though? I told my mom that I could might look into some colleges. So I'd taken a year off of after high school. I had just skated. I knew a lot of people who pick a college usually get or can get stuck there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I didn't know where I wanted to get stuck. Right. I've been stuck a long time. Yeah. <laughs> so I knew it had to be carefully chosen. Mm-hmm. And uh, Were you wanting to be somewhere? Yes. I mean, I was very interested in coming to Indiana, to Bloomington, Mm -hmm. where my sister was. I think I really needed to to leave my growing up home. And that was really hard. That was harder than deciding to quit skating. And it was hard to explain why I chose to move to Bloomington to really just go to a a church. But that's what I did. (laughs) And God made it successful. Like everything happened I wasn't hindered in coming here. Yeah, everything like I was hindered out. in was skating. I got here, got a job right away. A family let me live with them for a few months before I could get a place with some young ladies in the church. So it was just like, seemed like for the first time in a while where everything was just kind of falling into place. Yeah. Um, it seems weird to say that doing poorly at a competition yeah. would strengthen your faith, but it sounds like... I can remember thinking more often when I performed badly, thinking about God's sovereignty, less when I did well. Yeah. (laughs) It's amazing (laughs) how when we're doing well, (laughs) we don't need to spare too much thought for him. (laughs) No. Every time I did badly, I thought God knew that I was going to do badly. And he knows why. And he gave me faith to be content with that. How did that discipline of ice skating and just the way that you lived, your single-minded purpose at that time, how did that affect who you are today? And I think it's in a good light given me perseverance that I can transfer into the Christian life. But in a in a negative light, it's created perfectionism and closedness, <laughs> I guess, or not very vulnerable. You were trained to never show weakness. Yeah. I mean, you fell down and you got up. And if you were competing, you smiled. 
you were not allowed to show what you were feeling. I always had a hard time when my coaches would ask me how I'm feeling or what's going on. Just like, that doesn't make sense. You told me that I shouldn't tell you how I'm feeling or complain or... Yeah, make up your mind, coach. Like, (laughs) (laughs) in a world where we are just bombarded with this message that if you believe enough in something and achieving a goal that you can achieve it, it seems counterintuitive to say that God would take this dream of yours and in some sense crush it. God didn't made us didn't make us to have it all. We're here to do what he wills and what he's designed and in some cases someone might do something amazing mm-hmm. for God and it's right and it's good and yeah. he's blessing that. So as you've transitioned to a job of stay-at-home mother, do you ever miss the figure skating world? Do you miss achieving something. I know that's sometimes that's difficult for me as a stay-at-home mom. I Mm -hmm. think there is just nothing for me to point at (laughs) and feel like proud of myself for achieving because Uh everything I do is undone in the space of sometimes 30 seconds, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. I would say, yeah. I mean, I have occasionally looked back and you know, even just thought, oh, I just love to go land a triple jump because that just used to feel so good. Like, <laughs> yeah, I feel yeah. good. I feel like I could do that. Did it? <laughs> then I take my five-year-old ice skating and I'm just like, whoa. <laughs> Let's just go forward and I'll hold you up and that's good enough for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I do miss it. And I've gone back on the ice skating website and, you know, scanned to see the articles of which of my competitors who are now old people Mm -hmm. in that world (laughs) to see how they're doing and and what they're doing. And, you know, it's kind of this flip-flop like, oh, you know, they're going to all these cool places and they're doing really well. And then it's like, but that's the external. Maybe they're very isolated and don't know what life is outside of skating and they just can't get out and they don't know why they should get out or (laughs) what they would do. And in some ways, I think skating did prepare me for motherhood because there wasn't, it wasn't like you made something and there it stood. You kind of, you would maybe have a good performance, maybe a fairly perfect performance, but there were always things that you knew that you could improve on. So that's, I think, been a really helpful perspective to have with, with a Christian life, with motherhood, and not to despair when things go badly by God's grace keeping eternity (laughs) in front of me. You know, that's what spurs me on now. It's not the Olympic gold medal. When you think about other young women who might be at a turning point in their life and maybe looking at saying goodbye to that or maybe looking at, you know, continuing on, is there any particular advice or wisdom that you that you can give them? I think you really have to turn off the world and know you can't have both things and that you should make a decision to fully serve God. And if that's not in your particular discipline right now, then there's something off. If you were talking to a young woman who who has been sort of single-minded in pursuing one particular thing and is now picking up the pieces, realizing that, that that's no longer possible or that's no longer what she wants to do, what do you tell her? I would tell her to, to have faith and to trust God and to pour herself into a church. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that's it.
Continental is hosted by Katie Walker and Michael Crum. It is produced and edited by Nathan Alberson with help from Ben Salser. And it is executive produced by Nathan Alberson and Jake Mensel. If you like the show, please don't forget to rate and review in the app of your choice. And if you're interested in more great content, including articles written by me and Michael and even some of our guests, please visit warhornmedia.com.